ECU. Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Monday, our final Reaction Monday of the season, East Carolina loses, unfortunately, in fitting fashion to conclude a 2-10 season on a last-second field goal to the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. 29-27 the final as the Pirates drop to 2-10 on the season, their worst season since the John Thompson era, the most losses also since the John Thompson era, only the second double-digit loss season in program history and just a a season to forget. But unfortunately, we had to talk about it now and talk about not only the Tulsa game, I'm sure we'll have a lot of big picture discussion here on this Monday. We are taking your calls as always. If you would like to call in and discuss live, 252-561-8255 is the number. Again, 252 252- 5618255 we are live on Facebook and YouTube. I am trying to share those links right now on our various social media pages. So if you've got a comment or a question there, drop it. We'll get to it throughout the next hour. Philip Pilkington is producing today's show. If you call in and you want to get on the air, you will hear him. But unfortunately, we've had this conversation a lot this year, Philip. Pirates in a position to win the game, can't close it out. This one in, in the most bizarre fashion possible where you have the ball two minutes to go inside the Tulsa 30 and this conservative offense we've seen all year. No real trick plays. We have seen a few direct snaps, but that's just not the situation to call one. ECU did call one to Raja Harris, fumbled the ball, and you just knew at that point Tulsa was going to go score. That had been the season, but just... I'm still trying to get my mind around it, Philip. I, I don't know what. Just what was your reaction to the Saturday's finale? You know, you've been bringing it up, and you know, kind of beating the dead horse for three, four weeks now. When's there going to be a trick play? And I agree, we needed a trick play. We need one in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, but not when you're running the four-minute offense. Okay, the four-minute offense is the most vanilla part of the game ever invented in football. When a coach has his play sheet and he's got, you know, all the different situations, you know, Coach Logan likes to talk about a sheet the way it's all laid out. Your four-minute offense has, like, every run that's a basic run and a few little passes in case you get in a third and long or you think you can catch them off guard. There are no trick plays on the four-minute offense portion of the play sheet those are on the bottom corner somewhere that you barely even see them that you call on the first play because you want Tyler Sneed to throw a touchdown against NC State to spark the game you are not sparking the game in the four-minute offense when you're winning the game with the football at the end of the fourth quarter I I I don't know, I, I'm going to say something that's going to get us fined or me fired or just okay back to you I go now before I say something dumb that's probably the way to take your uh, way, to, way to take your finger off the trigger there because you never know what's going to happen with. Uh, I, I just it, it just boggles my mind. Like I, I you know I tweeted after the game we were hours removed and I'm like I still just don't understand how you 
get in that situation and call that play after you've been the most basic inside running zone team we've seen in years. I mean, they've run inside zone countless times this year. And I agree. Yeah, I was calling for a trick play. Not that a direct snap is is necessarily a trick play, but it's, it's an unorthodox play. You well, know, the Alex, fact that he wasn't lined up right behind yeah. the center. Like, it was a trick play in the fact that it wasn't a normal wildcat. It was a snap to the player that was lined up behind the guard. Right. So, I mean, it's 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 not a normal play, definitely. It's not a play you run when you're just... I mean, just, Phillip, just run it three times and kick a field goal, make them use their timeouts. They're probably not going to go score a touchdown. I mean, even if you miss the kick, what are the odds they get in field goal range with no timeouts and making them burn their timeouts? I mean... It's just it's it's just mind boggling, but you know it sums up the season, man. And and we asked uh, I asked Mike Houston after the game, like like basically what happened there, what was the the call, the explanation, and he said he was looking at his kill the clock sheet, and from my understanding, you know he was doing that in case they get a first down, whether let's say they bust off a big run on first down. Then at that point, you got to look at the numbers, the math, and say, hey, how much time is remaining? How many timeouts do they have? Can we take a knee or, or do we continue to run it? So the head coach does have to do that. Now, he did say it was on him, and ultimately it is on him as the head coach. Every play goes through the headset. I'm sure he had his headset on. I don't know what the terminology of the play call was. Usually in situations like that, it can be a, you know just a word or two that's different from the original play call. Uh, so maybe he just didn't catch on. But either way, the the play call was made by the offensive coordinator. We, we talked about it all last week, Donnie Kirkpatrick, and you know whether it was unapproved, approved, whatever. It got to the quarterback, and it was the play that they ran, and they had practiced it. But I just, I just can't believe it, man. Uh, Chuck says, it just tells you what you need to know about Houston needs a cheat sheet when common sense should prevail. Look, every, every coach has a kill-the-clock sheet – a, you know, analytics sheet. So that, you know, if that's the case, every coach in America is an idiot. Um, so, I mean, you know, you're going to obviously go off your gut with some of this stuff, Philip, but the kill the clock sheets, the analytics, when to go for it book, all that stuff is pretty prevalent throughout college football. Yeah. And maybe even a little too much nowadays with some of those analytics with going for two at dumb times. Cause I've always been more conservative growing up watching more NFL than college, but yeah, the kill the clock sheet. Look, it's 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 a very simple sheet. It's time left divided by forty seconds minus how many ever timeout or plus how many ever timeouts the other team has. And obviously, we weren't in that situation yet where you could just take knees, but you're still, like I said, you're in that four minute offense part. And you know, you brought up is could it just be a one word difference? Very likely because. You're only telling the center and the running back really the difference. The offensive line is still going to block it as if it's, you know, whatever scheme they went for their blocking. That's how they're going to do it. So it probably was a one-word difference. You know, you bring up, could Mike Houston have heard it? Maybe not because, you know, if you're standing there talking to somebody on the sideline, you may not be downloading everything that's going through your headset. But it's just weird. It's like such a weird time to run it. You know, if – if we're Dolphins fans or sitting here talking about Mike McDaniel calling this play, you're not really scratching your head. But they don't have a vanilla offense. They don't know what vanilla is. This team is the definition of vanilla offense. And like you said, it wasn't a true trick play, I guess, but it's just like the minute you 
throw a wrinkle on something. Bad things can always happen, and bad things did happen. And I know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but like I said, you're in that kill the clock situation. That's not the time you. The definition of a trick play in kill the clock situations is we act like we're doing the tush push, and then the quarterback rolls out, and you know, like Jalen Hurts takes it around the opposite side, which really is just the guy with the ball runs a different way. That's that's as tricky as it gets in a kill the clock situation, and I, <laughs> it's just this. It's mind-boggling. Uh, Richard on YouTube says, uh, what's the call-in number? I uh, posted it there. 252-561-8255 is the call-in number. Again, 252-561-8255 if you want to call in and discuss this. Uh, Chuck says, we all agree it was a bad play call. Yes, I mean, it was a... Look, I, I've wanted this offense to get more creative all year, but even I, in that situation... Why in game 12 at the very end are we calling that? I mean, there have been a few direct snaps at times this year, but that's been in the middle of a game, never when running out the clock. So, and, you know, I don't know if it would have worked or not. You go back and look at the play. The defensive end was was there to recover the fumble because he was basically unblocked. And I don't know if, you know, the the fake pitch to Flynn, which is what it looked like they were going to design the play to run, would have held that in and then Rajay could have scooted up the middle. But it was just run it three times and kick it. It's really that simple, and uh, it's just – it almost makes you, like, wonder. I don't know. It's almost like ECU intentionally tried to lose the game based on the play call as uh, Phillip gets a call. And, you know, it's it's just one of those things where it's just – I don't know. I tweeted at the time when ECU ran the ball on third and one and got stuffed and punted it back to, to the – to the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, I tweeted, it's very fitting, given this season, that ECU would run up the middle on third and one, get stuffed, punt it, give it back to give it back to the defense, and let it be in their hands. And the defense did what they've done all season. They got a four and out, essentially put ECU in position to win the game, and what did the offense do? Crap the bet and gave it right back. And it's just a fitting end to this terrible season for ECU football as they Fall to two and ten in gut wrenching fashion. All right, we got Richard on the line. He called in. What's up, Richard? Hey, hey not much. Uh, just like everybody here, I watched the game. Uh, you kind of hit on the nail though with that. The way it ended, it kind of was for me. Was I was numb in a way. Just it, like, not surprised as how the year's gone. And just trying to think how to wrap our heads around it. Uh, kind of like two-lane game. The offense started out good, then died out of the end. Flynn had two interceptions later on, and that really killed us, too. Uh, along the defense ended up giving up some plays, which really, if you think about it, they made the last second field goal, but they also dropped the guaranteed touchdown in the very end zone. So we got forced on that end. But uh, I want to see what, what you think. Uh, I mean, Houston's going to be back another year, I believe. Uh, I think people are a little ridiculous on trying to fire him with as much money that he's owed because we still don't even have an indoor practice facility, yet alone enough money to buy out Houston's contract and then try to get that facility also. So I think we'll give him one more year for sure. Yeah, a lot of pride still on the team. And it's one thing for us. We're scared by having the exodus of the, of the defensive side of all the players leaving. They probably for sure would leave if Houston leaves, especially Harrell. Let's try to keep and retain that. Um, obviously, that's the bright side coming into the year. And I want to see what your thoughts are when it comes on offensively. Uh, I think you said we're, we're eyeing Ty Keys, I believe, for quarterback 
in the JUCO ranks and uh, any, any words on uh, any prospects you think that have a legit shot coming in and, uh, and who you think might be leading to? Uh, Richard, appreciate the call, man. I mean, I, I think, look, given the contract of Coach Houston, three years left, they are coming off back-to-back bowl seasons. It would be one thing if they were coming off consecutive losing seasons or even a losing season last year. Look, I get it. This was one of the worst seasons in ECU football history from a results standpoint. You can't deny that. People should be mad. You know, the ECU has much higher expectations than, than this. They're spending a lot more money than a lot of the teams they lost to this year on the football field. It is unacceptable. Coach Houston said that. I do think he will get this, the offseason to get it fixed. He's doing offensive coordinator interviews today. He's starting that process. He's shown he can fix stuff in the past. This will be his biggest test, as we've said. If I'm John Gilbert, I'm asking Coach Houston, hey, what is your plan to keep the defense together? Because that's the most important thing, obviously, outside of finding the right OC. That's a huge hole you have to plug. But if all of a sudden, if Blake Carroll gets poached, if your top two corners get poached, then you have to plug those holes on defense too. So I'm trying to figure out what's the reality of keeping that side of the ball together, which I've talked to some, you know, players and uh, you know their their families. I don't get the sense there's about to be a max mass exodus on the defensive side of the ball. You know, there's a lot of that speculation out there. Hey, these guys are all going to leave because they're unhappy. I don't get that feeling at all. You might see a couple guys leave uh, for for their own benefit or whatnot, but I don't think you're going to see the whole defense leave. And even if Blake Carroll gets poached, you've got in-house candidates. We talked about it last week, Roy Tesh and Trip Weaver, two guys who have been in this defense as assistant coaches for a long time that you could promote. So I feel pretty good about the defense sticking together at this time. So then it all comes down to the offense. And then my other question would be, all right, how much of the new offensive coordinator is going to have control over, A, what quarterback comes in, B, what he's running, what philosophy he's allowed to run, and kind of the style there, because we've seen the last few years, at times the style has worked, but when you face teams with a lot more talent or equal talent, the offense has struggled. We've seen the offense start games fast and then fade because they don't make the necessary adjustments to kind of counteract what the defense is doing. A lot of that is scheming and having an answer for what the opposing defense is doing as well. So if I'm Coach Houston going through these interviews, I'm posing those questions as well. And if I'm John Gilbert, I'm trying to figure out what quarterback or how much control does this offensive coordinator have? Because Mike Houston is a defensive coach with a triple option background before he got into the spread at JMU. So he leans on his offensive coordinator, I think, a lot for quarterback evaluations and recruiting. And so that is going to play a major role in this because next year is going to be a must-win season for this coaching staff. So those are kind of my thoughts on it right now. Uh, Richard, appreciate the call. I know a lot there. Uh, at this time. And there's a lot of moving parts, man. College football is just chaotic. Look around the country right now. All the coaching changes. Mike Elko leaving Duke in the middle of the night after telling his team, you know, he had been offered but had not agreed to a deal. So it's just, it's a crazy business for ECU. If you do make a, if you did make a head coaching change, you would have upheaval across the roster Maybe on just once instead of maybe just one side of the ball right now. So you have that to balance as well. And if you make the change, you're paying Coach Houston the next three years a lot of money to buy him out. And then you don't have as much money to go hire an attractive head coach. So there's a lot of wrinkles to this. It's just not as simple as, hey, ECU went two and 10. That's unacceptable. Let's fire him and make a change. There's a lot that goes into this across the board. 
And uh, I, I think that's how John Gilbert is looking at it as well. All right, Philip is taking another call. Uh, we are going to try to get a break in as he does that. We'll be right back. We'll get the caller on the other side again. You guys want to call in? We will do that. 252-561-8255. Let's get that break in. We'll get to more of your comments and questions on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this? On 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. It's a reaction Monday on Hoist the Colors, 94.3 The Game. If you want to call in and talk, 252-561-8255 is the number again, 252-561-8255 on this reaction Monday. We got Joe standing by. What's up, Joe? Hey, Stephen. I just wanted to get your opinion on something. I think that if you graded the different components of this football team, you would definitely have to give the defense the highest grade of everybody. You'd have to give the offense an F. Your strength of your team, I think I would have to give that a D. Special teams, I'd give a B. So with that being said, do you think that or feel there should be some more changes on the offensive side of the coaching of the coaching staff? and or the strength staff? Uh, good good question, Joe. I think, look, Big John is Mike Houston's guy. I'm not, I'm not advocating for a change here because I think Big John is a huge culture guy. All the players I've talked to love him. But I, I do think you look at the fourth quarter of the games this year, ECU really struggled, and maybe that was just from not having a quarterback or an offense, but they failed to close out games in the fourth quarter. So if you're a big John, I think I think everybody from the top down has to look at why this thing happened the way it did and kind of reevaluate everything. I, I think that's a fair question. I don't necessarily believe there should be a change with big John just based on what I know, but I think certainly you look at that. As far as the offense, yeah, I mean, I think the new OC should have pretty much full control over what his staff is going to look like. Obviously, with input from Mike Houston, there are some very capable coaches on staff right now. Raekwon Boyette, excellent running backs coach, excellent recruiter. But is he going to fit the new OC system? Does the new OC have a running backs coach he wants to bring in? Alan Mogridge, everybody I talk to has great things to say about him as an offensive line coach. He just landed two junior college offensive line commitments on Sunday after a big recruiting weekend. So what do you do with him? a lot of this will come down to what the OC situation is. Does he know Allen? Can he work with Allen? Your OC and your offensive line coach usually need to be in sync. If not, that can create issues. So, uh, you know, Aaron Auer, very talented, young, uh, inside receivers, tight ends coach. I think he's got a bright future in the business. Same thing with Dyrell Roberts, the receivers coach. So, you know, I like a lot of those coaches, but at the same time, Joe, you got to have an OC who, who has people underneath them that know his system because you got to be able to come in year one and operate at an efficient level. Usually, that only happens if you have coaches underneath you that know what you want and exactly what you want. Okay, thanks, guys. I know it's going to be a a long off season. I'm really worried. My biggest concern now is if he doesn't really make some impactful changes, how it's going to affect the season ticket sales for next year. Yeah, I mean that's. It's a valid question, Joe. Um, and uh, first off, you know, appreciate your call, and and you know, I always see you at the coaches show. Uh, you know, Mondays often. So thanks for 
for your support of uh, East Carolina athletics and your passion. And yeah, it's, it's something that you look at the schedule for next year. It's not, you know, it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, it's not a challenging schedule, but so you, so you have the chance to get some wins and build some momentum, but at the same time, you're not going to sell a lot of season tickets based off your schedule next year. You do have Appalachian State at home. I think that will be a very well-attended, passionate game. But your other home game is Norfolk State. You go to ODU in week two. ECU has won, I think, three in a row in that series. Uh, they won under Scotty Montgomery, and they've won twice under Mike Houston. So that's a winnable game, another six and six, but they're not unbeatable. Uh, ECU fans will travel to that game. And then you got Liberty. And look, Liberty, great program right now under Jamie Chadwell. But you look at who they played this year, they have played nobody. So if ECU is, is actually a good team next year, that's not an unwinnable game. But zero Power 5 teams on your schedule next year in uh, as it stands right now. So not the most attractive, but a winnable schedule. And I don't know if that's a great thing, a bad thing for season ticket sales. I guess it's a little bit of everything. But look, if you if you want to build some momentum, I agree, you got to make some necessary changes this offseason. And uh, that's, that's happening with the OC. I mean, they're doing OC interviews now. I expect a hire to be made in the next week. We'll see who they hire, and we'll go from there. And then it comes down to getting a quarterback, you know, maybe a tackle, maybe a receiver. Uh, but I do think Coach Houston knows the changes that need to be made, and we'll see how that unfolds. We got – Phil, this is what I love about, uh, you know, ECU coming off a 2-10 and 10 season. Everybody's trying to find the answer. We got some people in the comments section on Facebook – that won't ECU to install the triple option. Call Paul Johnson or Ken Niamatololo. Put Mason Garcia in as a triple option quarterback. Um, look, Mike Houston's got experience running the triple option. How do you think the fans would react to that? Yeah, with the lack of confidence with Mason over this year, I don't know if the fans would love putting him in that triple option system because that's one of those where a quarterback has got to have a lot of confidence in his ability to read things and it seemed like that was kind of his kryptonite this year it was not a talent thing it was just when he made a bad throw it caused him to make another bad throw and it worries me with mason if he makes a bad read is it going to cause him to make another bad read and you know he's got the athleticism to be a triple option guy but i just there's so much that goes into it I don't know if Mason's your answer there. Um, if you maybe had, you know, Alex is, he's more than calm, cool, and collective. Like, he never gets high, never gets low. Like, you need a guy like Alex Flynn on your team. You don't want 85 Alex Flynn's on your team just solely because there wouldn't be enough emotion, but it's good to have, like, two or three like him. If you had a guy like him running the option, though, and then you had Mason's talent, that might be a good mix unfortunately i don't think we have that so yeah i just can't see that i mean i do love coach ken coach ken's great it'd be cool to see but i don't know if that quarterback's on our roster right now i think for mason if he's going to be a part of the ecu's offense next year i don't see it being the quarterback situation i think if he's a quarterback he goes down to you know a sunbelt score a max school or or maybe even the FCS level. I think if he's here, he's a tight end, he's a fullback, he's an athlete, not a not not a quarterback. Just because I just think it, you just mentally, he's just kind of 
he's kind of beat himself down a little too much, and there might not be any coming back from that. The mind's such a powerful thing. So I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent from the question you actually asked me. But, uh, yeah, I'm not really a fan of that one. Yeah, I don't, I don't think ECU's going to install the triple option. I mean, it's just – again, Coach Houston's in a make-or-break year. You can't – I mean, you just can't go get offensive personnel to run the triple option in one offseason. I mean, it's just – you got to – you got to overhaul your offensive line. No receivers want to play in a triple option offense. Uh, you got to get the, the slot backs. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So I understand where they're coming from, but look, it's not going to happen. You're going to hire a spread coach. All right. Yeah, as far as the Mason Garcia thing, I think he wants to play quarterback. Everything I've heard is that. And unless there's just an OC that comes in that looks at the film is like, I can make this guy great. I just don't see him, you know, I, I personally don't see ECU putting all their eggs in that basket again. And this is nothing against Mason Garcia, but you now have Coach Houston, his future's on the line going into next year. I think he realizes that he's not going to do the same as that quarterback situation we just went through. If Mason is loyal to the program and wants to stick around and, and compete and give it another shot, then, hey, I you know, I'm all for it. If he wants to switch positions and get on the field and try to make it that way, I'm all for it. He would make a heck of a tight end, but I think he wants to play quarterback. So I just don't personally, you know, see it happening. But you never say never. College football, if there's one thing I've learned, it's to never assume anything because every time I do, the the opposite happens. And uh, that's what I've learned covering this business now for a number of years. All right, we got some basketball comments trickling in about Mike Schwartz, uh, the status of Ezra Sar, BJ Brandon Johnson. We'll talk about that maybe towards the end of the show. Uh, Christian, appreciate the comments. Uh, also, it, it looks like they just announced Delaware is moving to FBS in 2025, according to Scott Lorbacher. I believe they're going to Conference USA. Scott wants to know, would we like to see them on the schedule? Yeah, I mean... I, I, you know, Delaware, I wouldn't mind it down the road, but I can't, I, you know, Delaware, I don't think a matchup with Delaware is going to sell any tickets, but, you know, as a matchup with Old Dominion, does that sell any tickets? Maybe a few more locally, but, you know, the scheduling thing is just hard right now, Philip, because nobody wants to come play at ECU if you're NC State, if you're North Carolina, you know, if you're, if you're South Carolina, West Virginia, these schools don't want to come play at ECU anymore, and it's just getting that much harder to schedule, so you got to schedule somebody. Nobody wants to see home and homes with Liberty, ODU, et cetera, but that's looking more and more like the reality. And the problem is for ECU, they got to start winning these games. They have been beating bad or beaten bad by Appalachian State the last few years, so the Pirates got to step up and win these games before I think we can complain about the schedule too much. I know I, I kind of went off there, but I don't know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? No, yeah, so, you know, Pirate fans' favorite things are to play State, to play Carolina. Like you said, that ain't happening. So you've got to go get these lower opponents. Pirates' second favorite, Pirate fans' second favorite thing to do is to travel to road games. We like, there's something like ego boosting for East Carolina fans when the camera pans to the crowd and it's not an ECU home game and there's ECU fans. It's kind of like Cowboy fans or Packer fans or Steeler fans. We like, we get a high off of it. So the unfortunate thing is, as the crow flies, Delaware's not that far. The problem is, to drive to Delaware, you've got to like go through New Jersey. It's not easy to get to Delaware. It's easier to get to Liberty. It's easier to get to Old Dominion. 
it's easier even to get to Coastal Carolina if we would schedule them. So, I mean, no disrespect to Delaware, but I the, the only thing I can even tell you about the University of Delaware is Joe Flacco and Joe Biden. I know nothing else about that university. I know they're the Blue Hens. I was and, about to ask you yeah. what, what their mascot yeah, is. Yeah, I do know that. Nice, nice. But, yeah, there's nothing. They also have helmets like Michigan. So Yeah, there's nothing sexy about about Delaware. I mean, if they're, you know, congratulations to them. Jumping up to FBS, that's great. Um, but, yeah, just travel-wise, why? I, I just, maybe if they start winning games, cool, but on the immediate future, give me ODU. I'd rather drive to Norfolk than drive to, I don't even know what town in Delaware that the University of Delaware is in. The only town I even know in Delaware is Dover, and that's just because it's the capital. So I know nothing about Delaware. We'll have to do a quick Google search. We got another comment from Chase. He says, here is something to think about. Who would take the job? Bringing in OC, then bomb next season. The OC gets thrown out with Coach Houston after only one year, low job security. Look, you're paying a lot of money. ECU pays, I think Mike Houston's like third or fourth highest paid coach in the uh, the non-Power 5. You're paying your offensive coordinators over $400,000. That is a lot of money. For an FCS coordinator or a coordinator or a guy who's trying to look back and kind of rebuild his career who's already been a play caller, there are a lot of people that would take this job. So I get it. There may be some due to the low job security that, that may shy away. But there are plenty of capable candidates that are lining up that want to interview and want this job. And if you're Mike Houston, you sell it as, hey, we have the defense. Come be the man. Come build our offense. And the other reality is if ECU bounces back, has a, a special season, you could ride you know with Coach Houston to a bigger job. So that's just this business, man. It is crazy. And what is job security right now in college football? You have coaches that get fired after one or two years uh, at, at major schools, and you got coaches that move on after one or two years. So it's just job security at this point in this business is extremely low across the board. All it takes is one bad year or one good year, you know, to move in either direction. So I think they'll have a, a capable replacement either way if you're East Carolina. All right, let's get a break in, Philip. We'll come back. We'll continue to answer your questions. 252-561-8255 is the call-in number if you'd like to call in, share your thoughts over the air. Again, 252-561-8255. Otherwise, we'll continue to read your comments on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors, Reaction Monday. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Iko. Drink up me, hearty Joe 194.3 The Game. Hi, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Monday here. We're taking your calls. Again, the number 252-561-8255. That is 561-8255. We've got Pirate Al, one of the best fans for the Pirates in the business. Al, how's it going, man? I'm doing all right, man. I'm trying to get over uh, what we saw Saturday, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm starting to come back, come back to life now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes takes a little bit after that. Oh my God. Um, let me ask you this, Stephen. World War, uh, not World War. Um, the all hell's gonna break loose. I'll, I'll say that on December the fourth, when the portal opens up, we've really got to have this offensive coordinator named by that date. What do you think the chances are that we'll be able to have the right guy hired by the end of this week? Because when that portal opens up, we've got to be able to we got we got to be able to roll. 
Yeah, I mean that's the that's the question. I know for a fact that is the goal of East Carolina and, and for head coach Mike Houston. I think by the latest Sunday, obviously, you know, December third, a day before it officially opens, they right. want to have their guy in place. I think ideally Friday, Saturday, you know who it is and can hopefully finalize that deal, get something in place so that OC can start talking to A guys on the team and B guys in the portal. Cause he's got you know, there's already some quarterbacks in the portal from the FCS ranks that are grad transfers that can already enter. You know, ECU is probably talking to those guys, but they're not going to come here unless they know the OC or the quarterback coach. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You got to have a guy in place by December 4th. I do get the feeling that is the, the, the definite goal of Mike Houston. And if the process goes fairly smoothly, I think that'll happen. But, you know, you know as well as anybody else, to get it finalized, go through HR and all that, that takes a while too. So I, I don't know the exact rules there, but they are looking to do that by, by next Monday. All right, here's my next question, Stephen. Um, for somebody that likes to have complete control like, like Houston does, and I know you talked about this a little bit before, but what do you think What do you think the chances are that, he, that he'd be willing to, if we can get the exact hit officer coordinator that we need, uh, to say, hey, look, that's your baby. I'm staying out of it. You, you run the show. You, you bring the kids in here that you need to run your offense. You bring in the coaches that you want to to be able to run this offense the way you want to do it. And, and, and Mike be able to say, basically just turn that side of the ball over to, to the new guy. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other question, too, is I, I feel like, and two, with, with Coach Houston saying basically this past Saturday on the final offensive play that he didn't even, you know, basically said he didn't really hear the play and he was focused on the, you know, the time management side of things. That's That signals to me maybe he is not completely – in the headset, overruling every single play like some theorize out there. So I do think with his background as a defensive coach, there are certain situations he'll always be involved in. But I would think, now you got to look at this season as a whole and you got to change what you're doing, not only OC but philosophy-wise, based on the results. Clearly, recruiting didn't work out with your philosophy offensively previously. Your scheme didn't work out. Uh, your plan didn't work out. So if you can't make those changes after a 2-10 and 10 season, if that's kind of what the direction Coach Houston was going with, how much he's involved with the offense, I think you'll never make those changes. So I think everybody's got to reevaluate what they're, what they're doing. And I do feel like if he has the confidence in an OC that he will be pretty hands-off from a play-calling perspective. I, I personally have never gotten the sense he's overly, you know, overruling or vetoing play calls left and right. Like some people have that theory. Uh, maybe I'm dead wrong on that. I'm not in the headset, but I've never gotten that sense from previous coaches, players. Uh, but I do think nailing this OC hire and giving that guy control over what quarterback he brings in and what assistance he brings in is definitely a key. Two names, Chad Morris, Willie Corn. Both of those guys run some fun offenses, but, uh, Anyway, you'd be anxious to see what happens here, and I appreciate your time. Thanks. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of comments about, you know, what is going to be or who are the candidates, that sort of thing. At this time, I don't have any specific names I can share with you. Again, that process really starting today. At some point, we will get some of those names. Uh, Willie Korn is the co-OC at Liberty, has worked under Jamie Chadwell a long time. Again, great offense. Don't know what he's making at Liberty. Don't know, you know, the exact situation there. 
but it's a great offense. So look at the numbers over time. And it's a run-based spread offense. So you can be run-based, balance, and do it in creative ways and not necessarily just run it up the gut, you know, 35, 40 times a game. Uh, yeah, so I, I am all for looking in the most creative way possible, looking at a guy who's an up-and-comer. And it's one of those things like Chad Morse, head coaching experience, was an offensive analyst at Clemson this year, has been an OC at Clemson, head coach at SMU Arkansas, OC at Auburn, was an analyst at South Florida. You know, the interesting thing about Chad Morse, he was on staff with Alan Mogridge last year at USF when he was an analyst at South Florida under uh, Jeff Scott. So you do have a tie there, and he has had success at Clemson. You know, it does concern me a little bit, guys like that who have coached at premier programs and who have had mixed results, but definitely not a bad candidate at all. I mean, he's definitely worthy of a look if they choose to go in that direction. So, again, we will try to get some names uh, as this process moves along and moves forward. Chad Morris, 54 years. He kind of falls in that. He's been a play caller before, has had success, and you wonder how he would adapt here. And then you got the other pool of candidates. Maybe you look at a guy from the FCS ranks looking to make the jump, prove he can call it at the FPS level. So there are different ways here, Philip. you can go if you're Mike Houston. He went with kind of an up-and-comer in Blake Harrell. That has worked out. But the interesting thing about that is he had worked with Blake Harrell at the Citadel, at Lenore Ryan, so he had a tie there. Offensively, he doesn't necessarily have those ties because of his triple option background, so I don't think there's a slam-dunk candidate on paper right now, so I think this will be a pretty thorough interview process. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, one of the things he brought up there was how hands-on he needs to be, and I think we live in an era of football now. It's not the era you and I grew up watching. It's not the era that Mike Houston grew up playing or coaching and this is an era where you know does defense still win championships i think so because they've got to be able to stop the high-powered offenses but if you're going to win a championship you have to have that big high-powered offense and you need an offensive guru and mike houston is a defensive-minded head coach which i'm still for defensive-minded head coaches but i think they need to be hands-off so he needs a guy who's ready to take the bull by the horns um, and kind of do what they do, and I think he needs to be a little hands-off. And, you know, you brought up some good candidates there. Pirate Al brought up some good candidates there as well as you. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. But like you said, when you have that triple option background, and I think that's why our one person that made the comment made the, the triple option comment and bringing in Coach Ken is he doesn't have those big-time connections. But the great thing is he does have a lot of connections still. He's been in college football for a long time where maybe he has it's it's that one degree of separation you know maybe he coached with a guy who is now still at a lower level who is coaching with a great offensive mind so maybe something like that can happen because like you said he doesn't have a former OC that's going to come in here and and take those reins by the style that ECU needs to run to be effective in the American because his former guys are triple option guys and you know we're not living in the era of triple option football so it's going to be interesting it's it's tough and I think that puts a lot of pressure on coach Houston but then also maybe it takes some of the pressure off of coach Houston because 
you know, if he brings in a guy, it's like, oh, this guy was successful with you somewhere else. Everybody's going to expect on day one, the first drive of the first quarter of the first game, to have the immediate success. So hopefully with the weird situation he's in, maybe Pirate fans will be a little more patient. Obviously, you want to go on there. You want to win early in non-conference. We unfortunately don't know the exact conference schedule for next year with SMU going out, Army coming in. Mike Oresco has already been open that we can't just plug and play due to a couple different things, and we're not going to go into all those right now. But um, I don't I know. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's gonna. there's still going to be a lot of pressure on whoever it is. But hopefully because of that, their pressure won't be as immediate. And uh, just ask for patience. You know, I know we want to make a bowl game next year. I'm not asking for that much patience, you know, being content with four and eight. But if you don't see what you want to see on the first play of the first game, you know, it's a long season. So, I don't know. We've got a few comments on Joe Sloan, former ECU uh, quarterback holder. He has had a very successful stint in coaching. And he was the OC at at, uh, Louisiana Tech under Skip Holtz. Here's the issue with Joe Sloan. Loves ECU. I think one day could be a candidate for the head coaching job here. He's making $600,000 at LSU, and he's coaching one of the Heisman Trophy finalists. He's already gotten calls for other head coaching opportunities this offseason. Joe Sloan is not going to take this offensive coordinator job. Maybe a few years ago, uh, right now, he's making more than he would make here. He is on an upward trajectory. It just wouldn't make a lot of sense career-wise for him to take a pay cut and come to uh, to Greenville as much as he loves ECU. Uh, somebody mentioned Brian Shore. He he was the quarterback under Mike Houston and Donnie Kirkpatrick at James Madison when they won a national championship. He is now an offensive analyst at Georgia Southern. I don't see him going from offensive analyst he was a GA here, but I don't see him going from offensive analyst to OC. Now, the Georgia Southern offensive coordinator uh, could be a guy who gets a look. You know, he's a guy who's had a lot of success. So maybe you have a tie there with Shore on staff. So there's just a lot of different things that can lead to uh, some, you know, interviews, guys reaching out. And there's been guys that have made it clear they're interested in the job that may or may not get an interview. A, when you're trying to make a hire during uh during a week you only have so much time to to do these types of things all right let's get to our uh, next phone caller uh we're running a little short on time so we got mike on the live line mike what's going on hey steven one more time uh for 2023 i appreciate you taking my call unless houston goes full Dion mode on the offense and flips everybody uh the changes are going to have to come from that new coordinator with the personnel that we have yes the nil will help um, but we've talked about this before is we don't have nil type money so we have to be creative so that new guy is going to have to come in and do it uh, with pretty much what's on staff hopefully we could get some new members there for sure um, so what are your thoughts on that flipping up the system going back to what ECU has done and been successful at of getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly, not so much with the RPO, but sending the running backs around the edge and, and hitting receivers over the middle uh, with slant routes. So you're not dependent on your offensive line uh, to keep the quarterback upright. Yeah, Mike, I think, you got, I think you've got to adjust what you're doing offensively, schematically, philosophy, uh, from a philosophy standpoint, because the offensive line personnel, 
you know, I think you can be better next year. I think you can run the ball better if they develop some of these guys and add an offensive tackle or two, but it's no guarantee. So if you're going to go into next season or any season at ECU, expect to be able to line up the football and just overpower teams. It's not going to happen consistently. So you got to get creative in your run schemes. You got to get creative in getting the ball out quick. As you mentioned, you know, there's different ways to do it. You look at Tulsa, a lot of their offense is based off running the ball, but also play action. They play action ECU a lot early in that game and still got the ball out pretty quick, therefore setting up the run later in the game. So you can be creative in how you call it and also find a way to set up things better. It just felt like ECU did not set up enough things doing this early in the game and then doing something else later in the game to kind of set the defense up. We saw ECU's defense very off balance at the time against Tulsa, an offensive-minded head coach, Kevin Wilson, who's had a lot of offensive success due to the play calling and due to just having the right personnel in the right spot. So I think a play caller and a very good one can make a big difference. There's no way you can tell me Tulsa has more talent than East Carolina. Maybe a better quarterback. Somehow the guy's a walk-on freshman. Heck of a player. Credit to Tulsa for finding him. But across the board, I didn't see more talent on Tulsa than ECU. So a, a play caller can make a big difference. And I think that's... You know, that's kind of what you're holding on to as far as hope if you're ECU is that you get that right guy who can scheme up some things. It just felt like ECU never schemed up enough things under this offensive regime. It was almost like if they had a big play, it was because they went out and won a 50-50 ball at receiver or, uh, that you know, Keaton Mitchell outran somebody on the edge or you had an inside zone play that got bounced outside. So, yes, you do got to have playmakers, but at times you got to be able to scheme some things up as well on the offensive side. So appreciate the call, Mike, and thanks for your support of the program all year. All right, we got to get a break in. Our final break, we'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. This is Hoist the Colors, Reaction Monday. Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome in, Hoist the Colors, Reaction Monday. Got a minute or so left in the, the program. Appreciate the calls. From Richard, Joe, Mike, thank you guys for all the comments on YouTube, Facebook. And uh, Pirate Owl as well, yep. Sorry for almost forgetting the great Pirate Owl. I was sure we'll see him tonight at Tiebreakers for the coaches show. Uh, Somebody said, will John Gilbert ever say anything? Not worth it. I think it's ridiculous we're keeping Houston uh, 2.4 million. You couldn't see this season coming. 2.4 million, he says, on Pirate 2031 on YouTube. I expect to hear from John Gilbert this week. Uh, from my understanding, he will be on the coaches show tonight, as will Coach Houston, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, 94-3 the game, 6 o'clock, and then there may or may not be a press conference later in the week from John Gilbert. We'll see. I think they're kind of kicking around the idea of addressing the season, talking about how it needs to be fixed, that sort of thing. I mean, John Gilbert will come out and say something, and I expect it to be this week. And uh, we got a comment from Richard. Issues should be playing at a minimum, state or UNC, every other year. Greenville is an SEC environment. I agree, Richard. The problem is they got to play ECU. And, Philip, as we wrap up the show, we got a call for Holton Aylers for OC from Chase. I tell you what, Holton for OC, Shane Carden for quarterbacks coach, Jeff Blake, Marcus Crandall, David Gard. Let's just do the whole offensive staff that way. Uh, let's not say we did. All right, we got to get out of here. We will be back. Appreciate you guys once again. Tomorrow we'll be back at our normal time, 12 noon. Joseph Sampson will join us, former ECU tight end. We'll continue this discussion, OC Talk, and more. This has been Hoist the Colors. 
This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, 